Welcome back to our series as we walk through, we take a tour of the seven churches that are uh, referenced and that uh, Jesus had John write a letter to in the book of Revelation. These, these ancient cities that we are touring through are in present-day Turkey, which as you know, I had the opportunity to go and visit in March and showing you some really neat pictures. But it's important to remember that these were real churches. These were real people real followers of Christ who faced real problems. And they had challenges in their lives. They, just like you and I, at times, they, they struggle with shortcomings in their faith. And so because of all of that, I think we have a lot that we can learn uh, from the things that, that Jesus told John to write to these, these churches in our modern context. I think there's a lot that we, can, that we can learn. In fact, Jesus himself repeatedly says throughout these, uh, these things, these instructions and these challenges uh, to these churches, he repeatedly says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it's important for us. So last week we started our journey in Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus. If you missed that, you can get on the website and check that out. Today, we are visiting the city of Smyrna, and I have three different slides with pictures. Uh, what's interesting about these ancient ruins, they're in the middle of the city. They changed the name of the city back in 1930 to Izmir, so if you look it up on a map, you're looking for Izmir, but right in the middle of the city are the ancient ruins, some of them, of, of Smyrna. And uh, the, the bulk or the majority of the ruins are under the modern city. So to get to most of it, you'd have to rip people's houses up and buildings, and they don't really want to do that. Uh, but there are some things that are, that are visible, and a lot of it is gated off. We were there, uh, I think it was on a Sunday morning, and so we didn't get into the grounds. So some of these pictures are kind of from behind the gate. But what you can see is an agora, a, a mall. You can see some of the gates. Go to the next slide. I put three slides together. This is the modern city. There's Pastor Brant Lighty being silly in uh, one of our walks. Uh, but you can see it in the, in the background. That's the city. It's a, it's a modern, beautiful modern city. And underneath it is this, this ancient city of Smyrna. Go one more slide there because I think you can see some of the gates that are preserved, and uh, from, from what we understand uh, from um, those who study this stuff, they, they believe that Smyrna was actually even more beautiful than Ephesus uh, was in its day. One of the things that they are working on, they're, they're scheduled to uh, excavate a theater, which would be pretty amazing if they get that, if they get that done. It's, a, it's an incredible city. And uh, this picture is pretty cool because the, the city itself was originally a Greek city. And Alex, it goes back to the time of Alexander the Great uh, restored this city. And even to this day, you can see the natural harbor there. That was a view from, from our hotel, the, the harbors there. It's beautiful. Uh, but up in the top of that hill where that flag is on this picture, there is a wall, there's still a remaining wall from the castle that Alexander the Great built. Think about that. That goes all the way back uh, into a lot of centuries of history at the top of that hill, at this castle that overlooked, on the top of the mountain, overlooked the city. So it's a really cool city. It's a beautiful city with a lot of really neat history. Uh, there is a, a, a book that 
was just released by Admiral James Stravitus. It's called To Risk It All. And the book itself, he is a retired Navy admiral, and it's about these stories uh, about those who were in battle, who uh, risked it all. They, they made hard decisions in real time during times of extreme pressure and conflict and risk. The reason I bring up this book is because his grandfather, the author of this book, his grandfather it was from Smyrna, from Izmir. Back in the 1920s, uh, his grandfather actually had to flee persecution from Turkey, from Izmir, uh, and his uncle didn't make it. His uncle was, was killed. So it's kind of an interesting tie-in to a present-day person in, in American history that has ties back to Smyrna. But I don't just bring it up because that's interesting. I bring it up because uh, the, the point of this particular book about making decisions in, in high-pressure situations, in times of conflict, in times where things are really hard, and making good decisions in those times of, uh, times of life, that's what this book is about. And that is really what's, what was happening in Smyrna. During the time that this letter was written from, from Jesus through John to these, through these churches. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, to join me in Revelation chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 8, and then we'll read down to verse 11. Verse 8 of Revelation chapter 2. Jesus instructs John this way, write this letter to the angel. Remember last week we talked about that's a reference to the elders, to the pastor of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. Now who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus, right? Jesus is the one who is the first and the last. He's the one who was dead and is now alive. So Jesus is instructing these things to be written to the leadership in the church of Smyrna. Here's what, here's what was written. I know, Jesus speaking, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because they, their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Jesus says to the, the believers in this church, I know about your tribulation. I know about your trouble. I know about your affliction. I know all about the slander that you are experiencing and about the persecution that you are experiencing. This, this word tribulation or affliction comes from the, the word tribulum. And I have a picture of what a tribulum is. It's actually an agricultural tool, uh, an agricultural tool that was used on the threshing floor. So it looks like a sled, and it has uh, like teeth on it. 
uh, spokes, and the way you would use it is you would drag it across uh, the, the grain, and it would break open the grain, and so it would leave the, the seed, the good seed, and then you would get rid of the chaff. You get rid of the husk, which is useless, and this was a tool that was used in that agricultural purpose. Later on, this was then used as a torture device. And what they would do is they would not just put it on someone and drag it across them, they would put sandbags on top of the sled to make it heavier so it would hurt more and cause more damage. The word tribulum means to rub. You ever heard someone use the phrase, now there's the rub, or herein lies the rub? You ever hear that phrase? What are they talking about? They're not talking about getting a massage. They're not talking about something that you use to season your steak. When they use the phrase, therein lies the rub, they're talking about a problem. They're talking about a difficulty that they are facing. And the Jesus followers in Smyrna where they were experiencing the rub of tribulum, and it was causing them to struggle with fear. I wonder if you can relate to that, because we, we all face the rub of tribulum in life, and sometimes those, those troubles, sometimes those afflictions or tribulations, sometimes they can create within us a sense of fear in our hearts or in our minds, and sometimes the result of that fear is maybe we can't sleep, we have trouble eating, maybe sometimes we, we feel uh, anxious and we get, we get impatient or maybe we get grumpy with people. Sometimes that fear turns into things like we have reasonable preparations for the future. Sometimes those reasonable preparations for the future can turn in to like this all-consuming uh, hoarding of stuff. We can't have enough because we're worried about this. We run out of this or run out of that, and we get consumed with it. If you ever find yourself experiencing fear because of the challenges that you are facing, you need to remember this part of this letter, this letter uh, written to Smyrna, reminding them that we are not alone. We are not alone. Jesus knows about our tribulum. He knows all about our afflictions. He knows about our troubles, our challenges. He, he knows about when people uh, slander us and when we are persecuted. He knows all about it. It's not that, that God is ignoring these things. It's not that God is, is picking on us. You think about who these people were in Smyrna. The followers of Jesus in Smyrna are the only church among the seven that are mentioned, the only church that did not receive any rebuke from Jesus, the only church that did not receive any criticism from Jesus among the seven that we're going to look at. These were faithful followers of Jesus Christ. They were living Jesus-centered lives, and even they were struggling with fear because of the tribulum, because of the tribulations and, and uh, afflictions that they were experiencing. But I want you to notice that in this letter, Jesus does not say, Dear Smyrna, 
Just be good little Christians. Don't be perverts. Don't cuss too much. Make sure you go to church and put some money in the offering. In exchange for all your good things, I will make sure to give you a problem-free life. That's not what Jesus says. And I know it sounds silly to say something like that out loud, but I'm telling you there are, there are people who think this way about their faith. As long as I, you know, I get the list of the five things or the ten things I'm supposed to do as a Christian, and as long as I can check off all the stuff, I'm a good little Christian, and as long as I'm uh, doing the things I'm supposed to do, then in exchange for that, God should just make sure that I have a problem-free life. And that's not what Scripture teaches us, but there are people who think that way about their faith. And when it doesn't happen, what happens? They, they get angry with God, or they, uh, they perhaps will pull back and say, well, what, what, why bother? It's, it's, not, it's clearly not worth it. I should just live however I want to live if life's going to be hard anyway, which is also bad, bad theology. But it happens all the time. Jesus gave these believers. He didn't, he didn't give them uh, a promise of a problem-free life. Instead, he gave them a challenge. He gave them uh, some encouragement as they struggled with their fear of tribulum. Here's what he said. He said, don't be afraid, be faithful. Don't be afraid, be faithful. That's really good. We should put that on a t-shirt. That's, that's a good thing to remember. Don't be afraid, be faithful. In fact, in, in the Gospel of John, John records the words of Jesus in John 16. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me, in Jesus Christ, in our faith relationship with Him, you may have peace. Not a problem-free life, but you may have peace. In fact, then he goes on to say, in the world, you will have tribulation. You'll have affliction. You'll have problems. You will have tribulum. But take heart, Jesus said, I've already overcome the world. Don't be afraid. Be faithful. Trust that Jesus knows all about what you are experiencing and what you are facing, and he cares. He cares about you, promises to help you endure to never leave you or I alone. Jesus is with you. And here's what I know uh, just through experience in life. I say that, I say Jesus is with you, and for some, therein lies the rub. Because there are plenty of people that would say, listen, if I'm being honest, I don't really want Jesus to just be with me in my tribulation. I want Jesus to remove the tribulation. Better yet, I want Jesus to make sure I'll never experience the tribulation in the first place. And it's a rub for some people. It's a problem. And the problem is we sometimes struggle with this idea that God allows us to suffer. Why would God do that? Doesn't he love us? Doesn't he care about us? Well, absolutely, God loves us and cares about us. But God allows us to experience pain, suffering, trouble, affliction. Sometimes God allows us to be broken like the grain being scraped by the tribulum so that we can be useful. When God takes away the unusable chaff from our lives... He's making us useful. He's making us better. He's making us spiritually stronger. 
why James writes this in James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, tribulum of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And that perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature, so that you can be complete, not lacking anything. There is a benefit that God is using the tribulum in our lives to, to pull out the chaff, to get rid of the, 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 the stuff that's not useful in our lives and just leave the things that are and to strengthen those things and mature our faith. 2 Corinthians 1.3 is also, I think, a really important verse. So God's, God will use the troubles, afflictions in our lives to make us stronger, spiritually stronger. But you have to, I think, complement that verse with this one. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, in all of our tribulum, so that we comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So there is this idea that we are able to comfort others because we've been through it too. But back up a step. Not, it's not just that God allows us to experience the tribulum and, and, and the affliction and the pain of problems in life uh, because He's making us spiritually stronger, right? It is that, but He doesn't just let those things happen and let us on our own. Like, good luck, here's some problems, hope they make you stronger. No, God is with us in those experiences in life. He's there not only to help us grow in our faith, but also to comfort us, to walk with us through the painful experiences. It's not either or, it's both of those things at the same time. The believers in Smyrna were experiencing some enormous tribulum, and it was causing fear in them. And specifically, Jesus mentions three things that they were afraid of. They were afraid of poverty, they were afraid of slander, and they were afraid of persecution. Those are the three things that, that Jesus mentioned. And I read this a number of times, and I, I wonder, why is it? Because it's interesting. They're the only church among the seven that doesn't receive any rebuke or criticism. Why is it that Jesus gives them a pep talk instead of criticizing them for what we could say is a lack of faith? Well, you're afraid. You just need more faith. Why does Jesus approach it that way? I mean, when the disciples were uh, in the boat in the Sea of Galilee and the storm came up and they all panicked and lost their minds, uh, Jesus, he rebuked them for their lack of faith. Why doesn't Jesus do that here? And I, I don't, don't know for sure the answer, but I, I wonder if it's because these believers in Smyrna, yeah, they were struggling with fear, but they didn't quit. They didn't give up even though it was super hard to live in that city and be a follower of Jesus. And when I say that it was super hard, I want to try to paint a picture of what that means. Because you might assign your own experience or your own definition to that phrase, super hard, you know, to live in this city and not really get why it was really difficult for them. Because your own experience uh, really doesn't compare. Let me see if I can paint a picture. Many of them had become slaves because of persecution. 
Many of them had lost almost everything when it comes to material possessions because of persecution. And not only that, not only was poverty a real thing that they were experiencing, like real hardship level poverty, uh, but there, there was a Jewish community in the city of Smyrna that would slander them. And, and probably a lot of their focus was directed at those who, who were Jewish by heritage and, uh, and then converted and became followers of Jesus, and that created tension within those relationships. But it's interesting that, uh, that Jesus is talking about blasphemy, or, or uh, you might have the word slander in, in, your, in your version of the Bible. But this Jewish community in the, in the city was, like if you had Twitter back then, if Twitter existed, this group of Jews would have been on it all the time, just bashing Christians. And that was hard. It's hard to be slandered. It's hard when, when people are saying things about you that aren't true. And this is happening, maybe not to this level, but it's happening now in, in our experience in modern America. There, there are people that, because uh, we believe certain things that God has revealed in His Word, certain biblical standards... Uh, that we live by, uh, there are names that we are called that aren't nice and that really aren't true of us as Christians. And, and sometimes that can, be, that can be hard. So you have, you have poverty, you have slander, and persecution was a real thing. Last week I told you about emperor worship that was really, really important to, to the Romans. Here's why. They, they wanted the emperor to be happy with their city. Because if you keep the emperor happy with your city, then the financial resources keep flowing into your city. So there was a big benefit to making sure that the emperor was happy. So to have people in your city that are not participating in the pinch of incense into the altar and refusing to say that Caesar is Lord, that's a problem. Because that could give the city a bad name, that could make the emperor upset, and then cut off financial resources. And uh, so there were punishments for that. And some of them maybe were, were minor punishments. You know, this phrase, 10 days of prison, implies uh, a short time of hardship, a short time of struggle. Or you also notice, it says, Jesus said, even to the point of death. So anything from a short hardship to the point of death. There was a wide variety of things that could happen uh, when it came to persecution. One of, the, one of the most famous examples connected to Smyrna is uh, a man by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of John, right? John writes the Gospel of John. Jesus has him write the Revelation. He has a disciple named Polycarp who was uh, an elder or a bishop in, in Smyrna, in the church in Smyrna. And he was burned alive at the age of 86. Now imagine that. At the age of 86, burned this guy alive because he refused to, uh, to say that anyone is Lord other than Jesus. Persecution was a real thing in this city. And sometimes the, the consequences of that persecution uh, were very, very severe. So I, I don't know uh, for sure why it is that Jesus takes the approach that he does uh, in how he communicates to the people of Smyrna. I do know this. I do know that, though, know that there are times when I need to hear Jesus say to my heart, don't be afraid, be faithful. 
Do you ever need Jesus to say that to your heart? Don't be afraid. Be faithful. Because it is getting more and more difficult. It's becoming not just uncomfortable. It's becoming, in our country, the place where you really could experience a loss of your job. Slander's been around for a long time, but that's getting worse. Uh, Persecution is becoming more mainstream when it comes to its direction towards Christians. And and it's going to require courage to, to face that. And sometimes we might be afraid. I think one of the best modern examples, most recent examples of courageous Christians that I've seen, uh, there's uh, five baseball players for the Tampa Bay Rays. Have you seen this story? Uh, These five baseball players get paid a lot of money to play baseball, right? They have a good life, a good career. And uh, these five Tampa Bay Rays baseball players, they chose not to wear the the pride jersey and the, and the pride decorated hat for Pride Day at, at the Tampa Bay Stadium during the pride celebration game that they were having. And they did so because they're followers of Jesus. When they were asked why they refused to, to wear the jersey and the hat by the media, uh, the pitcher, Jason Adam, uh, he was kind of like a spokesman for these five guys, He said this. I want to quote him because I think it's really, really good. He said, because ultimately we all said we want them to know that all are welcome. Now, when he's saying them, he's talking about the LGBTQ community that were coming to that game, coming to that stadium. He says, we want them to know that all are welcomed and loved here in their stadium. But when we put it on our bodies, I think a lot of guys decided that We don't want to encourage it, meaning the lifestyle of the LGBT community. We don't want to encourage it if we believe in Jesus who encouraged us to live a lifestyle that would abstain from that behavior. It's not judgmental. It's not looking down. It's just what we believe the lifestyle Jesus encouraged us to live for our good, not to withhold. But again, we love these men and women, we care about them, and we want them to feel safe and welcome here. Isn't that good? What a great way to handle that. These guys, not only are they willing to risk losing their jobs, willing to be slandered. Do you think any negative things were said about these guys in the media? Yeah, they got hammered. And they were willing to do that, but I love the fact that they did it with love. They did it with with grace. And that's not easy, is it? That's not easy. I feel myself as I'm getting a little bit older in life that, uh, that I, uh, I'm more willing to be bold and I'm, I'm more willing as I get older to say what I think. Uh, it's harder, though, as I get older to do that with love and grace. And I want to hold on to both, right? I, I want to be bold in my faith. I, I, I want to speak truth. But I don't ever want to get to a place where my heart is not able to, to say those things with love and grace because that's, that's not good. Right? That's not following Jesus and, and doing things the way that he wants us to do them. So I just really appreciate the way that these guys handled that. And I think these are the kinds of hard decisions for genuine followers of Jesus. And it's just, it's going to get more frequent. I, I pray for our teachers. We have a number of teachers and people that work for school districts uh, here at Grace Fellowship. And, you know, it, it's, that's a hard place to work across the country nowadays when it comes to education, public education. 
And so we need to make sure that we're praying for, for our teachers and those involved in our schools. It's, it's, it's getting harder for them uh, because it's possible. It's not just teachers, right? It's, it's in the business world. It's in the boardrooms where poverty is a real thing, where there might be decisions that have to be made where you have to decide, am I going to do this, participate? Am I going to be part of this? Or am I going to lose my job? Right? And, and that's, those are real decisions, and they're not easy. It's easy as, you know, I could stand on stage here and say, oh, you should be bold for Jesus, and if it means losing your job, do it. Well, now, where are you going to get your, I'm not, you're not moving in with me, right? So I get that those are real things, and, and they're not easy, and I don't mean to say that they are, uh, but there may come a point in time when we have to make hard choices like that, slander, persecution because of your faith. But I love that Jesus says, if, if those things do happen, if you have to make hard choices and it results in a loss of a job, it results in loss of relationship, loss of favor, Jesus says, remember that you are rich in other ways. And this gets repeated throughout the New Testament. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, in him we have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Is there tremendous value in being forgiven of our sin? Yeah. Is there tremendous value in knowing that you have received the grace of God? There absolutely is. And that can't be taken away from us. Ephesians 2, 7, In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of God's grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. There's value in, in the kindness of Jesus. There's another one in 1 Peter that uh, reminds us about our salvation. There's great value in just knowing about our salvation. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept for us in heaven. There's great value in knowing that uh, this, this world is, is not forever, uh, that we have this inheritance waiting for us. But even knowing that, even in the present, like, yes, we need to keep our focus on the eternal and not on the temporary, when we face these kind of things, to look beyond what we're experiencing now and look to the future of uh, our inheritance in heaven. But there's also this wonderful promise in Philippians about the now, about the present. And it's this, Philippians 4.19. If you don't know this verse, write the reference down, hold on to it. It's a really great promise. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. In Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That God will meet all of your needs. So even if we experience poverty, slander, persecution, we are rich because we have these promises from Jesus. So if we experience fear because of poverty, slander, persecution, Jesus is offering the solution to that fear. Don't be afraid. Be faithful. Be faithful. In fact, Jesus gives two promises uh, here at the end of that section to help us live out that credo. If that's the credo of our lives, don't be afraid, be faithful. There's two promises that, that help us when we face tribulum. Number one, believers will receive a crown of life after they suffer. And it does feel like we are hurtling towards the bottom of the 
barrel of society right now as, as far as the way that we are viewed in our culture. Uh, you, you may have noticed, especially since the, uh, the leak of the Roe versus Wade decision, it looks like it's going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, when that came out, you may have noticed, and if you haven't yet, pay attention, you may have noticed there's a phrase that's, that has begun to be repeated over and over again among the media. It's this phrase about the danger of white Christian nationalists or evangelical nationalists. Who are they talking about? Me, you. That's who they're referencing. And they're, they're not applauding us. Th- this phrase is being used in a very negative way as if we are dangerous. And if the, if the Roe v. Wade is overturned, you're going to see a lot of anger. And you know where that anger is going to be directed? <laughs> yeah, us. Those of us who believe in protecting unborn life. Just say that to say living, living for Jesus is not always going to be easy. It's certainly not the best way to get invited to the party. You know that, right? It's, it's not the best way to get invited to the party. And it's very possible that the increase of experiencing things like poverty, slander, and persecution is going to continually go up. But it's temporary. That's, that's his point. That's what Jesus is encouraging them. It's, it's temporary. And on the other side of that, the second promise goes with the crown of life. Don't be afraid, be faithful, because the believer will not experience the consequences of the second death. That's what Jesus said. And so we have this, this eternal hope that we can and must hold on to whenever we experience these tribulum in life. I haven't, I haven't gotten too far into this book yet, um, about way through chapter one. It's my summer book that I'm going to be reading through. And uh, I'm really looking forward to these, these stories that talk about how to make good decisions from a leadership perspective. How do you make hard decisions, good decisions in times of pressure and conflict and, and risk? And I tell you, I have no idea if Admiral uh, Stravitus is a believer or not, but I know he's a descendant from people from Smyrna. And Smyrna is a place where where people, believers, real believers like you and I, where they had enough faith to risk it all. I love that title. They had enough faith to risk it all, even even though it was going to cost them possibly everything. And I love that Jesus encouraged them, even, even in their willingness to risk it all, there were times when they were afraid, and it's possible that in their fear, maybe one of the reasons why Jesus approaches it this way, is that in their fear, maybe some of them were getting to the point where they were starting to wonder, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I don't know how much longer I can hang in there. I'm not sure if this is worth it. It's possible that maybe some of the believers there were just, they were enduring, they weren't giving up, and they were wondering, is it, is it worth risking it all? They were afraid, and maybe that's the reason why Jesus approaches it that way. But my, my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that our legacy, what a legacy, right? The only, the only church among the seven with no rebuke, no criticism, just an encouragement, don't be afraid, be faithful, hang in there. What a legacy. And, and I wonder if years from now, if that will be my legacy. I, I wonder... And I pray 
that that will be your legacy, that that will be the legacy of Grace Fellowship Church, that, that years from now there will be people who will be able to look back and say the believers at Grace Fellowship were willing to risk it all. Yeah, it was hard, but they were willing to, they were willing to experience all the tribulum of poverty and, and, and slander and persecution for the sake of their faith in Jesus. They trusted Jesus when he said, don't be afraid, be faithful. Don't be afraid, be faithful. Trust me to be with you. Trust me to help you endure. Trust me, Jesus would say, to be the solution to your fears.